Have you ever had one of those days where nothing seemed to go right? You get up and spill your coffee. Or worse, you take a sip and burn your tongue. And then you get dressed only to discover that your shirt or blouse has a stain on it and you have to start all over again. And if that's not enough, you head out the door without your briefcase or you get to the store to return something and all of a sudden realize you left it sitting on the kitchen counter. Been there, done that. Perhaps none of those things have happened to you, but we've all had exasperating experiences. How to tell when you've had a bad day. You know you've had a bad day when you jump out of bed in the morning and miss the floor. You know it's a bad day when the bird singing outside your window is a buzzard. You know it's a bad day when your horn goes off accidentally on the freeway and you're stuck behind a group of hell's angels. You know it's a bad day when your income tax return check bounces. And finally, you know it's a bad day when you wake up to discover your waterbed has broken and then you remember you don't have a waterbed. You see, troubles... Troubles are part and parcel of this journey we call life. We organize our day. We try making the right choices. We care for our bodies and their functions. And then just when everything seems to be in good order, life happens and we are thrown completely off balance, having to put everything back together again. Troubles. Upset plans inner pain and problems are seemingly built into our journey of life. Charlie Brown is going to Lucy's psychiatric clinic, and he says to Lucy, trouble seems to follow me everywhere I go. I can't seem to avoid it. No matter where I am, trouble seems to find me. And Lucy says, what you need, Charlie Brown, is an unlisted life. But we are listed, each and every one of us. We are listed somewhere by a strange force which the ancients called fate and the early Christian community called providence. And whether one is a non-believer or a Christian, troubles inevitably come. Star Thomas has a lovely story about his 98-year-old great-grandmother who lived all her life in a small town in Minnesota. The only physical mishap she had had in her 98 years was when she was 12 years old and she injured her hand in a corn picker. Then, 86 years later at the age of 98, she slipped in the barn and broke her arm. Great-grandma ordinarily is in the best of spirits. She got fretful. Everything happens to me, she lamented. First it was my hand, and now it's my arm. Troubles. Troubles, troubles, troubles. Or as a friend of mine once phrased, 
in his feeling of foreboding in a genteel version of a folk proverb. I have a feeling, David, that defecation is about to hit the rotary oscillator. And when we experience life that way, when we get dumped on and troubles seem to mount, we have a decision to make. How am I going to live my life now amidst this reality? Will there be hope or won't there be hope? Without hope, we die yet while we live. Troubles will come and go. For those of us of faith, we need some source of hope if we are to fully live and grow. To hope or not to hope, that is the question which trouble poses on the journey of life. And now as we continue on in our sermon series, once upon a time and ever after, exploring unsafe stories, looking to fairy tales, I invite you to sit back. And relax and listen to the tale from the pen of Hans Christian Andersen called The Beetle. Once upon a time, the emperor's favorite horse was shod with gold. It had, golden, it had a golden shoe on each foot. And why was this? He was a beautiful creature with delicate legs, bright, intelligent eyes, and a mane that hung down over his neck like a veil. He had carried his master through the fire and smoke of battle, and heard the bullets whistling around him. He had kicked, bitten, and taken part in the fight when the enemy advanced, and had sprung with his master on his back over the fallen foe, and had saved the crown of red gold and the life of the emperor, which was more precious than the red gold, and that is why the emperor's horse had golden shoes. And a beetle came creeping forth, and pray what? Do you want? asked the blacksmith. Golden shoes, to be sure, said the beetle. Why, you must be out of your senses, cried the blacksmith. Do you want to have golden shoes too? Certainly, said the beetle. I am, am I not as good as that big creature over there that's waited on and brushed and has food and drink put before him? Don't I belong to the imperial stable? But why is this horse to have golden shoes? Don't you understand why, said the blacksmith? Understand? I understand that it is the personal slight offered to myself, said the beetle. It is done to annoy me, and therefore I am going out into the world to seek my fortune. And off he went, leaving the comfort and familiarity of the stable. Then Anderson tells of a series of adventures. The beetle's caught in a rainstorm and almost drowns. He creeps into a place of damp linen, and he catches a chill. He hides under a piece of pottery, only to be nipped at by earwigs. He marries a beautiful beetle, but then he leaves her. And finally, some boys find him, and with a piece of thread, they tie him to the mast of a toy boat, and he's set adrift in a puddle. Well, now I know the world, said the beetle. It's an abominable world. I'm the only honest person in it. First, they refuse me my golden shoes. Then I have to lie on wet linen. And to crown it all, they fasten a wife upon me. Then when I've taken a quick step out into the world and found out how one can have it there, 
and how I wish to have it, one of those human boys comes and ties me up and leaves me to the mercy of the wild waves, while the emperor's favorite horse prances about proudly in golden shoes. That's what annoys me more than all. But one must not look for sympathy in this world. My career has been very interesting, but what's the use of that if nobody knows it? Wouldn't you know that two young girls find the boat and they see the beetle's plight and they gently untie him from the mast and bid him to fly away? And he does. He flies through a window of a great building and lands on the main of the emperor's horse. Here I am, sitting on the emperor's favorite horse, just like the emperor himself. But what was I saying? Yes, now there I remember. That's a good thought. The blacksmith asked me why the golden shoes were given to the horse. Now I'm quite clear about the answer. They were given to the horse on my account. And now the beetle was in good temper again. Traveling expands the mind rarely, he said. The sun's rays came streaming into the stable and shone upon him and made the place lively and bright. The world is not so bad upon the whole, said the beetle. One must know how to take things as they come. And so he lived happily ever after. What a delightful and imaginative adventure in the language of fairy tale. The gold he had longed for all his life is found from out of a sea of troubles and unlikely adventures. So, too, the Apostle Paul. He experienced shipwreck, beatings, and hunger as he sought to tell the world about Jesus Christ. And in our Romans text that Eleanor read for us, Paul was sharing with the church in Rome what he had discovered throughout his own troubles. And verse 28 is the golden shoe for those of us who are able to receive it. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. In everything God works together for good. How can Paul say that in the face of all the human suffering we see around us, let alone from his own personal experience of pain, of which there was very much? It all has to do with the art of landing on your feet. And the outlines of an answer are here in our text. For Paul speaks to us of a partnership, a perspective, and a power. A partnership, a perspective, and a power. Our own personal pain and troubles in life are expressive of our partnership with Christ. Let's move now to the 29th verse. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. Now, for the reformer, John Calvin, who was very logical, this verse was the source of his doctrine of predestination, which is evidence of what happens when lyricism is captivated by logic. 
the lyrics of Paul structured into the logic of Calvin. But perhaps it is our poetic ears that need to hear the words of Paul. Listen to what he's saying. In my personal suffering, I'm being shaped into the image of Christ because he knew suffering, the firstborn among many. And the many, well, that's us. Paul Ternier, the French physician and Christian, once observed, there's the case of Suzanne Fauch, that woman, that woman whose life has been nothing but sickness, pain, and weakness ever since her 16th year. Yet what a tremendous ministry to humankind she's fulfilled. She writes so simply, What my body loses, my spirit can make up. To know suffering, is it not to know life itself? Pain and troubles can in part be our partnership with Christ. I needn't remind you of the pain he suffered on our behalf. Conformed to his image, even in suffering, the firstborn among many. Our partnership in Christ begins with our very humanity, which includes suffering, troubles, and more troubles. But friends, that's the amazing grace when we can receive it. So let's turn again to our text, this time verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God wants us to see our lives with their pain and problems as part of a wider reality. But that's not easy when I get caught up in my own problems in the here and now of the present moment. Leo Rostin, in his delightful book, The Joys of Yiddish, has this marvelous story of Finsterwald. Finsterwald stumbled along the street, limping, moaning, leaving a trail of oives. A stranger stops him and says, what's the matter? What's the matter? My shoes are absolutely killing me. So why, so why do you wear them? I'll tell you, said Finsterwald. My business couldn't be worse. I owe the butcher, the baker, the grocer, the landlord. I have two daughters so ugly, who knows if I'll ever be able to get them married. My son is a slob, and my wife nags, nags, nags until I go crazy. I come home each night from a fruitless day's work, and I look at the bills and at my family, and at that point I could kill myself. So I take off my shoes. And, mister, the relief that I get from that makes life worth living. Perspective like that is artificial and self-induced. But the perspective Paul is offering is that of the providence of God. God's providential care in our lives includes the longer and larger view. For Jesus, suffering, pain, and death. Yet the story doesn't end there. New life, wholeness, and presence at the right hand of God. In an interview reflecting the ups and downs of his career, entertainer Carl Perkins said this, If it weren't for the rocks 
in its bed, the stream would have no song. If God is for you, who can be against you? To learn the art of landing on your feet is to find partnership in Christ, firstborn among many. To learn the art of landing on your feet is to find a perspective from Christ. If God is for us, who can be against us? And then our pain and troubles are finally an opportunity to discover the foundational power of love. We find it at verse 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. When you know you are truly loved, amazing power is released in your life. Think of it in your own life. When you have been at your worst or at your lowest, what has sustained you? What has pulled you through? For me, more often than not, it is the assurance and knowledge that someone loves me. That someone really loves me, no matter what. That is the good news of the gospel. The salvation of humankind is through love and in love. Human loves often pull us through. But behind all human love is foundational love. Love that matters and love that lasts is tied to the transcendent. We are more than conquerors, more than victorious through the one who loves us. And so we can dare to love. Sometimes when you have a minute, I'd encourage you to turn to page 272 in our hymnal. It captures much of what we're talking about. Here are some of the lines. There's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in God's justice which is more than liberty. For the love of God is broader than the measure of our mind. And the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. It's that kind of love that empowers us in Christ, even in a sea of troubles. Well, said the beetle at the end of his adventures, now I know why the horse was given golden shoes. They were given on my account. The golden shoes and a golden verse. We know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Partnership in Christ. Perspective from Christ. And power through Christ. That's the art of landing on your feet. For there is a foundation the world does not see. It's a foundation for our feet of faith. It is the place of all landings. It is God's foundational and providential love. Trust in these closing words of Romans 8 when Paul writes, 
For I am convinced that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a providential care you can stand on. The art of landing on your feet. Amen.